Alex, how is it going? You are back from a big adventure that you said wasn't so um, exciting, but I uh, beg to disagree because you got to go out of country, which is, I'm extremely envious of you. Hello, Marcus. (laughs) How was it? How was traveling abroad? Was that your first time going out of country? I mean, technically no, but yes. Uh, I went to Mexico when I was very young. We went to Tijuana uh, before Tijuana became the bonkers kind of cesspool thing that it is now. Oh, uh, like a dangerous, horrible, drug-ridden place. And it wasn't very good when we went. I, um, but yeah, we uh, traveled to Turkey, went to a few uh, different spots. And, uh, yeah, um, that was the trip. You were gone for what, like, uh, two weeks or so? Um, we were gone. So gone versus what we were, you know, taking out travel time. We technically left here on the 20th or 21st, got there on the 22nd, but you also have to factor in all the travel. So we probably were there for about 10 days. I don't know when you travel that far time kind of gets disorienting yeah i didn't know what day it was most of the time to be honest with you oh yeah i i can totally attest to that just because like when winter break hits for me i mean i usually get a week and a half off it seems like it goes by so fast and during that week and a half i'm like what day is it right now is it saturday sunday monday um but you made some pretty uh interesting observations i followed your journey on like the facebook and the instagram i loved uh some of your comments about your uh experience over there how was it um dealing with a whole different culture you you kind of had a little bit of insight because your girlfriend is from there correct from turkey yes she is from turkey was it majorly different from the united states or did you find things similar So if I'm being honest, it's hard to tell because you don't speak the language. And so as far as the experience, I, I I don't know. It was something very strange because I'm just putting my faith in the hands of somebody else and following them, which is what I did almost all the time being in a bubble where, you know, I'm just kind of floating around and observing because the person I'm with, whenever, you know, they're with someone like family or friends, are speaking a language I don't understand and they're walking all the time. So we spent so much time outside wandering around. Nobody's speaking a language that you know. Uh, it's very isolating, which is weird, you know, that any given time there's 30 million people in Istanbul and it's like you're surrounded by that many people, but you're so alone. It's a, a weird juxtaposition when you're in that region. Uh, now they do speak English, but it's obviously not the language they would speak first. They speak their native language first and foremost. So we're weird to kind of think about being surrounded by people, but also being completely alone. So it's, it's a weird feeling for sure. That's inser- uh, <clears throat> Excuse me. That's interesting. I, I didn't even, uh, think about the whole aspect of it being a different language, um, making you feel isolated in that instance because 
you're right. You don't know what they're communicating about. So you're just there kind of guessing. You also uh, made a really interesting um, post about how terrible the driving is over there, yet how good they are at it. Yes. So uh, think of the worst driver you know. Think about being in Idaho, right? That's nothing compared to how it was over there. And And the reason is, again, there's so many people uh, it's not just the population, it's visitors, it's passerbys. And in that sense, it's almost like a New York City, uh, but it's so much worse. I mean, I've been to New York City and I had very similar vibes here. Uh, there's just so many people on the streets and so many people driving. Uh, if you have a little bit of space and you're trying to turn right, they just go for it. <laughs> oh, there's, and And the person who is in that lane that they're turning into, they accept that, but they give them as little space as possible to make that merge. No one uses signals out there. People honk all the time, flashing lights, constant yelling. And like I said, when you think about that, you'd think it'd be reckless. You know, you have pedestrians just weaving in and out of the street because they're the same way. You have to take whatever gap you can get or else you're going to be standing on the sidewalk all the time. And I mean, I saw one accident while I was there and I was in Istanbul for about three days and yeah. on the roads and the streets a lot. And to think that that's, you know, pedestrians, car drivers, uh, lots of mopeds and bicycles and motorcycles weaving in and out of cars, traffic, getting on the sidewalk, you would think it'd be a huge nightmare. And I didn't drive, but I did walk a lot and you adapt really quickly. Oh, really? Oh, I'm just going to cross the street. There's a small enough gap. They're not going to hit me. I'm going for it. (laughs) That's, that's funny and uh, crazy that you, um, you got to experience that. Um, So you didn't drive a vehicle at all there. You let other people drive. Absolutely not. It's frightening. I mean, (laughs) that's when I say, I mean, when I say it was wall to wall cars, it was wall to wall cars. Oh, that's crazy. And I bet you, you had those mopeds and bicycles and everything kind of weaving in and out. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Cause everyone orders out uh, food. So they have like the, uh, DoorDash folks all the time. And oh really? Cut in and out of traffic. Is that a city it's, that do they, is that one of like those cities that never sleeps as well? Is it pretty busy all the time there? I mean, kind of, we really weren't out all that late many nights and that's because there's some really sketchy areas at times um but it seems like it wouldn't i mean i I know there's some downtime we traveled a lot by bus at night uh, to cities i mean i think istanbul or uh, sorry turkey is 300 square kilometers it's big it's uh, not as not it's like a texas and a half basically and so we traveled by big travel buses quite a bit, but we did that at night on the freeways and those were pretty calm. I could drive on the freeways, no problem, but we weren't out and about at night. But I can tell you when we were, when the sun went down, there was still tons of people. Yeah. Well, that's interesting that you did, you did some travel luckily enough because you're, um, you're just like me. We get one caveat of working in education and that's, we get a pretty uh long winter break i did some traveling as well i went down to southern utah and arizona 
And although I was still in the country of the United States of America, there's a lot of Indian reservations down there. And before, I'd only been on an Indian reservation, or I guess the politically correct term, Native American, Indigenous people, um, whatever. But uh, I'd only been on one once up in, oh, in Arizona at the Grand Canyon. And it was very, like, touristy. But the ones right. I went through down there were not. And it was so odd because for me, it was like there were still mask mandates in place. Like I went to pay for gas and it was like, oh, you need a mask to go in here. And luckily I found one in my vehicle because I was paying for my whole trip with cash. <laughs> right. And uh, there was a lot of, I, I mean, tons of people down in that area, <clears throat> Native Americans, very welcoming. But then there were others that you almost got that sense weren't so much. You know what I mean? Like right. almost uh, reverse. Like I even seen some signs down there of "Don't come back, stay away." Like like that had been tagged in areas, and then they other people have gone through and like corrected them. Like, no, we we like you here, we love you here. So it was a very different experience for me to go on those reservations. But I mean, they make beautiful art. Um, really really kind people i didn't meet any mean people um in that aspect but there were things i seen that i was like oh there are some people that don't want my type the white man here <laughs> so, <laughs> right um, and, and one of the things that i like about you traveling and that like the what what you did is the way i like to travel so uh when i when i travel i like to draw this line between i don't know how familiar you are with these two uh, Carl Pilkington, if you've ever seen an idiot abroad, the guy who just can't appreciate anything, he's Ricky Gervais sends him on these amazing adventures and he hates everything. And he's just uh -uh. aloof. I've and then um, if you're familiar with Conan O'Brien, he has a guy that uh, he had worked for him named Jordan Schlansky. And they did some travel stuff and he's very, like very anal about what they do and how they talk and the culture that they experience. And I, I kind of like to be left to my own devices when I travel kind of like, you know, you're, you know, dropped off. Uh, you know, I saw your pictures from Southern Utah, parts of Arizona where there's some guideline, but it's up to you to explore and have your adventure and be immersed in the city. And for me, that was the hard part was I couldn't do that. Now we did go to some places outside of Istanbul. So we went to an underground city in Derinkuyu. Uh, this is like a, a city that was built underground. It's nine stories deep. Yeah, I've seen those pictures. And it's an ancient city. And that those are places where I could get lost just wandering around. We elected not to use a tour guide. And we just kind of explored. And to me, that's the kind of traveling I like to do. So I don't want to be the guy who doesn't care about the culture like Carl. And I don't want to be the guy who says, you have to experience it like, uh, like a George Schlansky. But I like kind of like what you did. Hey, I want to go take photos. Just let me do my own thing. I want to explore. I want to make the connection. I've always felt like if someone has to tell me why something is impressive, it's not impressive. Yeah, I couldn't. Agree I want more. to be able to take that in on my own. So uh, we ended up in Goreme, and they have these rock formations that are, they look like piles of sand, but they're rock, and people built houses into the sides of the rock, and livings, and churches. And I could have wandered around there for three days. Um, and what's crazy is they're known for hot air balloons. So you just they go up and look at the city from far away 
And I'm very much like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to explore. I want to get my hands dirty. I want to climb through the rocks. And so, you know, not knowing the language and being on a, a schedule, uh, I didn't get to do that kind of exploring that I wanted to do. And so I'm very envious that you, uh, you got to go and travel and do vacations and do the things and immerse yourself the way that you wanted to in a way that you were very comfortable. Not to say that traveling abroad isn't something that you can take away uh, great experiences and ideas from, but it's just not the way I prefer to travel. Yeah, I, I, I can uh, totally appreciate that and get that. And um, this was one I've traveled uh, solo a few times, but this was um, a fully solo trip on my own doing this. And one thing I always like to do, and um, some of my other friends have told me I have such a knack for it, is I like just chatting up the locals, like not necessarily going to the, you know, tourist destinations. Like I ended up <laughs> talking to the this like Native American in a gas station for like, because it was super early in the morning and it was just me and him there. And I started talking about like... I had noticed down there, there was just all these wild dogs all over the place. And he's like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't know who they are. They're kind of just part of the community. And it was really cool to get to like, get that side story from culture rather than the, you know, this is the tour guide that takes you here and you got X, Y, and Z. And it's the same questions. I like really getting into the, the side culture of things. And, um, so that's one thing I really enjoyed and, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, absolutely. One of my friends, uh, Anya, and she's like a professional traveler, you know, uh, she said, hey, while you're there, take a hot air balloon. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I, 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 I get why you would do that because that's what they sell you on. Like this entire little village, everything's hot air balloons, take hot air balloons, take hot air balloons. And I'm kind of, you know, in that same mindset of, um, I don't want you to sell me an experience. I want to make my own experience. And that's what something like the hot air balloon thing is. You're selling me an experience. I don't want that. That doesn't mean anything to me. It's, it's like I compare it to the people who believe they've had this amazing, unique experience when they go to places like Disneyland. I'm not telling you that your experience wasn't fun. I'm not telling you you didn't have a good time. I'm just telling you that you're telling me the same thing that everybody else has told me, but you think it's only happened to you. Yeah, you, you bought an experience. You didn't experience, you know, the 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 wonder and majesty that you may think that you did. And again, I, I'm not telling you not to do those vacations because I think they're fun, but it's not the same thing as you know, getting lost in this own world of your own making and your own enjoyment. I, I, I know it sounds like it sounds like a total posh asshole thing to say. No, but. no, no, not at all. Because I couldn't agree more. Because I had two experiences mainly when I was down there. One at Monument Valley, and that's on a Native American reservation. That whole area, and it's it's a vast area that you can kind of, from my understanding, almost explore on your own leisure. They sell um, like guided tours and this and that. But it was so enjoyable because I had the area to spread out. And as long as you're not going on to lands and you're being respectful, no one bothers you, you know. I mean, there's obviously areas you can't go that you either have to buy the experience. But there's a ton of areas that you can just get out, experience that area. It's very mystifying down there. 
And in that experience, being able to do that on my own, my own pace, not be rushed or anything was awesome. And then I went into Page, Arizona and did the horseshoe um, bend, which is like the one of the most photographed iconic things in the Western United States. It's where the Colorado River begins before it actually starts to turn into like the Grand Canyon. And it's just a simple like horseshoe bend, but it's right. very, very photogenic, right? And the photo I took there is like, everyone's like, oh, that's so cool. It's beautiful. And in its own right, it was, but I wish I could show everyone what what was behind me and what I'm fighting with to even get that photograph of oh, the millions of yes. people. Yes. No, I, so we uh, went to Southern Utah in March. Southern Utah is one of my, if not my favorite place on the planet. Goblin Valley is probably a place I could go every year. Uh, I drug Ishan to, uh, Ishan is the other half, the one who's from Turkey, uh, to Arches and uh, Delegate Arch, or Delegate Arch, right? And the idea was, she says, well, why, why do we have to wake up so early? I'm like, well, two reasons. Uh, number one, I want to get there at sunrise because I want to be able to, you know, experienced sunrise here not sleep in you know it's one thing to uh see a photo of that it's another thing to experience that and number two for the same reason you're saying there's gonna be so many people there and that takes away from that majesty so we got there early we were probably like the fourth or fifth group that showed up so we took a lot of amazing photos and took that in and then as we're leaving there's just tons hundreds of people behind us just like waiting to get closer and they're all super pissed off because there's other people in their photos. It's like, you're you're here for the experience. I'm sorry. There's a random person in your photo. (laughs) Yeah. um, I, I also experienced that at the, on the approach to monument Valley, there's the iconic Forrest Gump road where, you know, obviously Forrest Gump got out or didn't get out. He's running, you know, and they got that epic, epic shot. And I was able to get that photo there and there was no one there because I showed up so early. It's basically the sun just barely started cresting over uh, the little, the horizon. And so I had this area all to myself and it's wintertime. So it's not the popular season down there anyways. But on my way back, because I did this whole little jaunt venture in one day, I went to Monument Valley, then Page, Arizona and turned around and came back. And by the time I got back to that road, it was like 4.30 and it was just littered with people. I felt like I was driving through the walking dead, like just bodies on the roadway that you're like, please let me through. <laughs> but you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. And that's the other thing I, I love to do when I'm traveling that some people I've traveled with don't really understand. I'm like, I'm not here. Like I'd never spend a ton of money on lodging. I obviously don't want to stay in a roach infested motel, but I'm not going to like buy the five-star hotel experience with the, you know, elaborate breakfast and the swimming pools and all this stuff. And I'm always an early riser. So I'm in like cheaper motels like motel six or something and i'm up at like 5 a.m starting my day because i figure i'm here i want to see as much as i can while i can oh yeah absolutely Uh, and i'm that way too when i travel um i don't like wasting days like i don't like 
sleeping in. I don't like spending time, you know, if I'm, you know, with, say I'm traveling to somebody and I know, sorry, somewhere and I know somebody, I don't like spending time, you know, hanging out at their house. I don't know. I'm again, I just like to be left to my own device and go wander around and explore. And, um, I don't know. It's, it's so counterintuitive because I feel like vacations you're supposed to rest and you're supposed to, you know, take time off. But I don't know. Well, I, I guess I have that Henry Rollins approach where there's no such thing as downtime. There's only time. Yes. That's, that's the perfect way of putting it. And I think you, you kind of hit something earlier about like the general vacations, like to Disneyland and stuff like that. I consider those are like resting. I don't ever consider my travels on vacation. That's like when I'm in my prime and I'm doing like what I felt, what I feel like I'm meant to do in this life is travel. So I never feel like those are actually vacations. So I'm like, no, this isn't downtime. This is go time. This is show people all these amazing things in the way I can. Um, but if I want to just go rest, of course, I'll go to a resort or something like that. But then right. I, I'm never doing those anyways, because I come from that mindset. It's, life is so short and limited that everyone always tells me, you got to go experience Disneyland once in your life. I'm like, why? I'm like, you know what you need to do? You need to go experience Waverly Hills or Trans-Allegheny once in your life. And they're like, why? I'm like, because that's an experience in itself as well. No, well, like, I'm not going to do that. That's stupid. Well, you know, I don't find Disneyland very interesting. Right. And I th- and, and that's why I said, I that sounds so posh for me to say. Um, I, I mean, they have, I think it's in Hall- Universal Studios Hollywood. They have a brand new Simpsons exhibit. And they're coming out with the Super Mario one. And I do want to go see those. But I'm not going to pretend that it's some amazing experience this one of a kind sort of adventure. It's an adventure that everyone, actually not everyone, but many people take. And those who don't get pressured, like you said, you know, right? People telling me to go to Disneyland. And I think again, if it, if if you grew up watching Disney, hey, that's awesome. But always keep in mind you're being sold an experience, and that's how I feel. You know, I, again, I'm gonna, I will go to the Simpsons thing in at Universal Studios. But I understand that I am being sold an experience. Yeah, very much so. And I always, I always love to immerse myself in the local population and the local culture of an area. Like I said, with the Native Americans down there on the reservation land and talking with them and seeing how they view the world and how their culture and society works. And when I went to West Virginia, because like, you know, a Native American reservation is vastly different from how I live in Salt Lake County. And then when I went to West Virginia earlier in the year, um, that was vastly different. Like if you want to see when people say like, oh, Magna, where I'm from is ghetto or poor or anything like that. I'm like, you have no idea. You you've never been to some of these other areas in the United States that are extremely impoverished and see what people have to live like on little or no means. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it extends further. And that was one of the things I was able to appreciate with my travels. Cause I'm, I'm the same way. We're both from Utah. Uh, I remember when I lived in Texas, I went to a concert downtown in the, the downtown area. And, uh, I, didn't realize that the show was going to be in such a shady area. 
and I walked down the wrong street, not knowing where my car was. And I was feeling like, well, <clears throat> it's midnight in a very dangerous area. I'm going to get killed. <laughs> I'm dead. This is a ghetto. Uh, there's no such thing as a ghetto in Salt Lake. But then, you know, traveling to Istanbul, you realize, oh, wow, it gets even worse than what I thought. Oh, I can um, only, I can only imagine. That's like people here that say traffic's bad in Salt Lake and then you go to Los Angeles County. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah that, is Istanbul, is that more of an impoverished region or economically are they well off there? So as of right now, they're going through something very similar to what we're going through with horrible rates of inflation. Uh, but the big thing is, most of that country is in essence the working poor. They're the wage slaves where their entire life is to work and they work to live. And that was one of the things that really stood out was, I mean, I'm not going to sure. Cody, that's how many of us are. Many Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, but I mean, these people are yelling at you in the streets to come into their shop and buy their knockoff Nike Prada bags and, uh, whatever quiche jewelry they make um, because it's their livelihood. And it, it's just very desperate. I mean, there are, there are old women on the streets selling those small like plastic wraps of Kleenex that you get at the dollar store because they need money. Oh, really? And it's, like I said, it, it reeks of despair and desperation and it's so depressing to walk around and that's and, also and, and, and like I said, they're not selling you anything that's unique. The restaurants, the products that they're selling, the shirts, I mean they're all the exact same thing. And so it'd be different if it was, hey, here's a one of a kind thing, you're not gonna be able to get this anywhere else. It's you literally walk a hundred feet. And you see the exact same place selling you the exact same thing. And those shops are literally everywhere. They, when you see pictures of the city, you see the really tall buildings. Those are apartment buildings and everything at the base of those are stores. It's like the entire thing is an outdoor mall. And it's wow. all people selling knockoff jewelry, knockoff sunglasses. And again, it, it, it's not that Americans aren't, the working poor, but there it's at a whole new level and it's only getting worse. Well, yeah. And, um, I, it's funny that you mentioned that, like that you see some photographs of places and you think, Oh, that looks so pretty or amazing, but you never see the backside of that photograph. Kind of like I was talking about at Horseshoe Bend where the landscape's beautiful, but what's right behind me is 5 million people trying to get the same picture of the same thing. And uh, it's kind of similar to when I was going through like uh, Monument Valley and that whole area is I got this vast appreciation for like the Native American culture and some of the hardships they're going through on their reservations themselves because you see how some of them have to live like, yeah, you there's these beautiful Monument Valley and amazing landscapes, but then some of the um, living conditions of the people in that area aren't the best. And it's like, God, you know, it's, it's kind of humbling, you know what I mean? Right. And that isn't to say that 
Um, I shouldn't say that's a reflection on the people because it absolutely wasn't. In fact, uh, I found that for the most part, people were actually a lot kinder to us. I think there's a camaraderie there. Uh, I'm not necessarily talking about the people at the shops, but just people in general being very helpful, helping us kind of navigate. We were asking for directions all the time. Uh, we showed up, we, we flew from, uh, sorry, we took a bus from Istanbul and we took that bus to a city called Ankara. And then we flew from Ankara to Antalya. And that's like an hour and a half flight. But we were running late. And everyone in line let us go in front of them. Uh, the security guards, like uh, I had my watch on and my watch beeped. They were, oh, that's fine. Just take it off. Go through again. Oh, your metal belt's going off. Oh, that's okay. Oh, you're good. There's like no hassle from their TSA. Um, everyone was like, oh, you're running late. Go ahead. Nope, you're running late. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, so the people there, uh, for the most part, again, uh, if you don't speak the language, vendors and stuff will rip you off. But when we were asking for directions, people went out of their way to make sure we were, uh, getting to go where we needed to go. So, uh, oh yeah, I don't know I if could... that's like a, 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 like this bond of, Hey, you know, we're all kind of in this shit hole together. But, yeah. Uh, I found that they were far more helpful uh, unless you're buying something from them across the board. So, uh, oh, and I, I could such agree a more. D- strange dynamic in that, uh, the people at the restaurant, uh, desperate, this is the best food you're ever going to eat, uh, versus, Hey, uh, random person, how do we get here? And no problem here. Let me help you out. Let me tell you, here's this. Uh, yeah. So, uh, very weird. The living conditions seem to be worse and the people seem to be better. I don't know. It's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, and I—I I mean, as I had the same experience. Like when I was first going into Monument Valley, like I said, I had seen these uh, graffitied signs and things of that nature of kind of like a an unwelcomeness. But so I'm like a little like off put and nervous. Like, do I want to go into this gas station? Am I this, you know, evil white man or whatever? But uh, you know. Um, but the thing is, is that's just one person in that community that made that sign. You know what I mean? And right. rightfully so, they they could have this inner hatred for what happened to their culture over the years and the crap that they've been put through. But when I actually interacted with the natives in like the stores and stuff, they were nothing but welcoming and kind and very nice. And, oh, you should go check out this area. This area has got a very good uh, sunset you know, type, you know what I mean? Right. So I didn't, I didn't get any of the, what I had seen going in there where I was like, yeah, this is crazy. Like, and I, I, there weren't signs any like on every outlet or anything, but I had seen a couple. So that's what kind of was a little off putting like, Oh, should I be here alone? You know what I mean? But when I totally immersed myself in the, in that little community and talked with people, they were nothing but kind as long as you were respectful to them from, from what I got. Um, yeah. And we had something similar. So when we were in Sade, which is on the coast of the Mediterranean, we wanted to go to a, another village to the East called Alanya. And we didn't know how to get there. We're, we're going to take a bus, uh, cause the taxi is going to be too expensive. It's quite a drive. It's like a 40 minute drive. And the, one of the people at the hotel that we were staying at, it was a, like the small seaside place. 
uh, he actually walked with us to the bus station, which is about a 10 minute walk and actually got on the bus with us. Um, and he didn't ride all the way with us. He got off on the next stop, but he actually traveled with us to the bus station to show us where to go, how to get on that bus. Just overly kind. Didn't have to do that. He just could have said, you walk down the road, 10 minutes, uh, pillars on the right. Bob's your uncle. You're set. And uh, no, that wasn't the case at all. And so, like I said, I, it's so, so interesting, that dynamic that, um, it, it feels like, and, and that's not the same thing. It's not, Sade is not Istanbul. It's like 10, 14 hours away. It'd be like, trying to think of a good comparison in the same state, but it's, it'd be like comparing Sacramento to Los Angeles. Got Two totally different places, even though they're both in California. Sade is kind of the same way, but, um, Alanya is a bit of a touristy kind of trap place as well. Those shops again, everywhere. It's a seaside. There's a castle on the shore and then they have the turquoise clear waters. Um, so you kind of saw that dynamic, creep back in but not not the three million Istanbul dynamic at all oh i totally understand that um it's you know it's it's just really cool to uh see the other side of humanity and how kind people can actually be to tourists and things like that because you always worry about the other fact of it like oh am i going to be this outsider that no one's gonna you know what i mean right and but, and I think it's that availability heuristic. Like we're only shown the terrible parts. And so I think that also plays a big part in our, you know, what we expect versus what we experience. Yeah, exactly. Now you and me, we both work in a similar field education, but vastly different jobs. I work in the transportation side of things and I've been doing that for almost 10 years now, just about 10 years I'm coming up Dude, on. Seriously, uh, not to cut you off. All I can think of when we were riding in the buses was I want Marcus to experience this because <laughs> the bus drivers are just as crazy as the people in cars, but they're driving buses. Dude. So uh, they, they speed up. They don't hit the brakes until they're about 20 feet away from a car, no matter how fast they're going. And they stop with maybe a foot in between the cars and they do it every time. When, yeah, and I I am very, like, I try to be super respectful of um, people's drive, like, not respectful. I, I try not to be the backseat driver. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. that's what I do. That's my job all day is I'm teaching people how to drive 40-foot buses that they've come from nothing of driving maybe a minivan or a sedan or maybe they drove their uncle's rv once or or even the truck drivers that come and do it and they're like oh yeah i got this job it's like totally different dude um but i was in uh when i visited the grand canyon we were on a native american reservation down there where they have the glass bridge right and they they transport you in vans to each one of these areas and really cool i mean awesome people nothing bad to say about it but they need to uh whoever they contract their bus company with to do the transportation from site to site needs to maybe do a little training because <laughs> i was with this guy and we're on these bumpy dirt roads he's not got a seat belt on and if you don't know anything about cdl vehicles most of them have what's called an air ride seat 
And if you don't have your seatbelt on on a bumpy road, you can get knocked out of that seat real quickly. So no seatbelt on, driving by far faster than I would on a dirt road, and he's playing on his cell phone. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. same, right, same kind of things there, man. Right, and right to our right, there's just a drop-off of like, you know, three, 4,000 feet into the Grand Canyon. <laughs> I'm just like, I, I got to look away. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, 100%. Every, every turn, taking those super sharp turns, nearly hitting people, nearly hitting other cars, and it's every time. It's not like, oh, whew, that's a one-off. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> we digress a little bit. But yeah, so I've been working in education in the transportation realm of things for 10 years and never thought in a million years I would be doing what I do for my day job. And I enjoy it for the most part. I don't have a whole lot of uh, crappy things to say about it because I've worked a ton of different jobs to where I would be like, oh, I'll never do that again in my life. But I never seen myself doing it like in high school. If you would have said, you know what you're going to be when you grow up, Marcus, as a transportation trainer, I'd be like, what? No, I'm not going to drive school buses and teach people how to drive school buses. There's no way in hell. Did you yourself, because you work in education in the university world, so you're working on with college uh, level material and college age, uh, I don't want to call them kids, but I guess some of them still kind of are kids. Did you ever think you were going to be a professor? I'm, so I don't know. I always liked the idea of teaching when, uh, when I was, when we both worked together at the guitar shop, I was trying to get in line to teach guitar lessons. It seemed like that was more of a front to get me to go work out in Tooele. Yeah. I had a few students out there, but I always liked the idea of, teaching things. And I started teaching music, you know, in high school, I taught my, uh, guitar class in high school for the most part. I taught stuff in my theory class. And so it was something that was always kind of there. Um, and I mean, of, of course my initial thought was I was going to go into work for composition. That was my original major was uh, music composition and then uh, graphic design. And so there's like a, I don't know, I guess like a three year period where I was like, yeah, I don't need to worry about teaching. And then when I decided to go back to school uh, for psychology rather than, um, sorry, uh, graphics or, or music, or music, I knew that teaching would be a big part of that. And so I think there was, like I said, a three year period or so where it wasn't on my mind, but um, I think for the most part, I always wanted to teach music stopped doing that. And then I knew it was a byproduct of what I wanted to go into that I would more than likely be in education in some way. And is that uh, just due to your pure love for psychology and everything with the human brain um, that led you down that road to become eventually where you're at now teaching that to students? I, man, I don't know where that joy and in entertainment and whatever else you want to use to describe it comes from. Uh, because there's a lot of stuff at my job that drives me up a wall. I'm not necessarily a social person or a people person. I think for me, it's kind of like what we're doing now. I like to sit around and share ideas and concepts. And the thing with psychology is it's in neuroscience and whatever 
field and domain attached to that that you want to talk about is I kind of see my job as sitting around and talking about stuff that I like all day. Like that's what I do for a living. And that's kind of how I approach it. The only difference is instead of doing it with you, it's a classroom full of strangers. Now you started teaching at a local community college here in Utah. That was your first professional, you know, you're a professor now, right? Are you trying to say that teaching at the guitar store is not official? No, because it wasn't. No, yeah, I was going to say uh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I initially started at Salt Lake, uh, Salt Lake Community College as a what's called an adjunct. An adjunct is someone who's not on staff. It's like contracted to teach where you're not full-time. You're not guaranteed work. You're not guaranteed a job the following semester. Which is so crazy to me because it seems like educators are needed like crazy, but they weren't they weren't willing to hire you full time. Well, it's actually commonplace. And a lot of, a lot of uh, schools will do this and it's cause it saves money. When you're an adjunct, you're not given insurance. You're not given a 401k. You're not given any of the benefits of someone who works full time because they're contracted. And so it's yeah, a way for, you know, uh, schools to save money. It, it very much sounds just like the, uh, the way a local school district for um, K through 12 children works as well. Um, Not primarily with um, teachers. Most of them are benefited in their positions, but your support staff, a lot of them, they try and keep them at like, you know, 29 hours or below. So they don't have to pay um, benefits and, and sick, you know what I mean? capitalism baby yeah so that's that's not just something that you see in the college world i guess because you do see that in the uh in the local school districts here and sometimes they wonder why they have such a hard time recruiting people to do some of these jobs not i mean teaching jobs is one thing but then the classified jobs like uh carpenters lunch ladies bus drivers custodians I'm like, well, you're not giving them a lot of benefit options. You're not paying them too well. Like, it's not very enticing for a lot of people. You almost have to really love the job to do it. Um, and on, I I know nothing about the university uh, level like you do. Um, you went from a local community college. Do you teach? A, are you teaching at a, another community college, or are you in a a bigger school? So it is a community college, but we do have, uh, in our higher level classes, which are the ones I prefer to teach, uh, we do have a lot of students from the University of Nebraska that uh, they kind of pull double duty. Uh, So it is a community college. Uh, I do teach both a community college and a a university curriculum, depending on the class. Gotcha. Now, how um, teaching college... Uh, you're dealing from what age 18 all the way up to what 65 or what's your yep. main age group you're dealing with? Is there 18 to 22? I mean, don't get it wrong. I do have several adult students, but the majority are people fresh out of high school. Gotcha. And do you ever find that difficult to teach the generation that's coming up now? Dude. Or <laughs> so the answer is yes extremely and it's not from what many people might think of initially but the now covid students the ones who were in lockdown in 2020 
they're now college students. And many students were given a pass. High school students get passes a lot already. And at that point, you know, the last thing that they remember from school is hand things in whenever you want. Uh, the rules don't really matter. Late work is fine. Uh, deadlines are not deadlines. And that's one of the things that, you know, I think any educator should teach at any level. Fortunately, they don't is, you know, the real working world doesn't give a shit about you and whatever your excuse is if you miss a deadline. I and if you always... have to have something done by five o'clock on Friday, you not getting it done is you are fired. And so I think that's the big thing is, you know, high school students, oh, late work, extra credit deadlines aren't a real thing. But when you find, you know, in the real world, they are. And yeah, so, I always... I always tell our bus drivers because they kind of get um, dismayed a little bit. Like sometimes they don't feel like they're actually part of the education system and that they don't mean a lot. And I, I tell all my new, uh, new drivers, I'm like, you're going to teach these kids one of the most important lessons that they don't really get in the classroom. And that's time management that the world does not wait for them. So if they're not at the bus stop on time, they're not going to school that day. You know what I mean? Oh, and 100%. Like, and again, that's just the way that the real world functions is you have to be able to make a script and a schedule and you have to have that, like you said, time management. And that's something that's very much lost on the now COVID generation because that's like what they knew as high school students and it's what they've come to expect. And so it's almost, uh, almost through kind of no fault of their own. Do you think, or do you think it was the, I, the system that made them that way? No. I, so I think it allowed that to thrive. Gotcha. So it's not that, Oh no, no, it's COVID. No. Oh no, I'm lazy. No, no, no. You always had that in you. That was always something that you had done, but it, it got almost expanded on it got blown up it got exacerbated because that seed's always been there and covid allowed it to grow and thrive yeah i i i can totally uh i can see that um and i don't know how you do it because some people are like i don't know how you do it marcus you work with kids that are age you know, five to 18 where in all this patients and stuff that you must have. And I'm like, they still, for the most part, even high school kids can have the fear of God put into them for lack of a better term. But I also have worked with training some of our attendants and like, um, people age 18 to like 25 and working with them is almost harder than working with my actual students, but like teaching them how to drive because they almost have an attitude of like, they know it all. And I'm like, was I, I was probably like that too, you know, fresh out of high school. Like I know everything about the world now. Do you ever get like backlash from that in your teachings? Um, I mean, I haven't really gotten people who say that they know it all, but I do have students that when I correct something, uh, they'll, they'll double down. Uh, and it's one of my favorite phenomenon, and I don't know if you've heard it before, or heard of it before or not, but it's called the backfire effect. Do you do you know what that is? I don't. Okay, so I'm going to tell you the my favorite example. Tell you the research on this. So, uh, let's say we have four groups of women, 
and they're anti-vax moms. And we have, uh, we're trying to change their mind on, uh, on vaccines and to show them that vaccines work. So we have group one. Uh, this group is going to get a bunch of videos to watch about the benefits of vaccines. The second group is going to get literature, so stuff to read. The third group will get both. And then we have to have a control group. That's a group that we don't give anything to. And what we're doing is we're going to have a pre and a post test or survey. So they're going to come in and they're going to tell us their opinions on vaccines. We're going to give them the videos or the uh, readings. And then they're going to do all that. And then they're going to come back. And we're going to ask them opinion on it again. See whose minds changed the most. My question to you is, who do you think changed their mind most positively out of those four groups? Um, so we got the ones that got literature. Yep, stuff to read. The ones that had like a multimedia, like a video, you said, right? Yep, a video. And then our control group has nothing. Yeah, nothing. So it's just, it's like a baseline, like with medicine, like a placebo almost. What did the other group have? They got both. They got readings and videos. Um, I'm going to say the ones that only got the literature. The answer is none of them changed their mind more positively. Hmm. Now the question is, who do you think changed their mind the least? Well, obviously the people that didn't get anything. <laughs> yes. But that, that <laughs> So what happens is when you confront people with information that's counter to what they believe, they actually dig their heels in deeper and become more affirmed with that. And so I'll get students. So uh, a good example is we talk about dreams in my classes and we don't know why we dream, but there's two leading ideas. Um, one of them is there's something called your default mode. And this is a network that when your brain's not doing anything or when you think you're not doing anything, your brain is doing stuff. It's like daydreaming, but because you're sleeping, you can daydream for as long as you need to. So like mm -hmm. when you just kind of stare off into the distance, you get those weird images in your head and you go, oh, I'm supposed to be awake. Uh, and then the other idea is because you're not getting external information, your brain turns inward and creates information. And it doesn't matter how many times I tell students that there's no research that demonstrates that dreams have meaning and symbolism and Oh, I, I, I dream about this person or this place. So it means something. Uh, my first semester, I was so dead set in telling them, no, nope, that's not how it works. That's not why we dream. We do not, you do not dream that your teeth are falling out because you feel like you're losing your childhood. That's not what that, that doesn't mean anything, but you get so much pushback. And so I've kind of found that, you know, even for some of the more controversial topics, so, I mean, that's dreams isn't that deep hitting, right? Like, there's no, no personal feeling towards the meaning of dreams as deep as it is to say, when we talk about you know, transgenderism, I have students who speak out about transgenderism and all you can do is get them to stop talking because you're not going to change their mind. You don't kind of challenge those beliefs because it's just going to turn into a huge argument. So I do get yeah. some students who on certain things will talk to you like they know more and it doesn't do you any good to try and change their mind. You just have to squash that conversation as quickly as possible because when you're talking you know, politics, uh, when you're talking, you know, I have a lifespan and development course and we talk about the development of children. You can't 
come anywhere close to talking about something like abortion. And it's not because you shouldn't talk about politics, but you're only going to make the opinions of those worse and deeper if you do. If you talk about things like war, if you talk about things like religious uh, freedom slash suppression, like they don't, they're staring at mostly disturb trouble. They don't really care about what the answer is. They care more about not just, I wouldn't say hearing, having their voice heard, but more so about silencing voices of others. So yeah, that's kind of a skill you have to learn. You have to be able to squash those kind of things before they spiral out of control. I'm sure plenty of my students think I'm a fucking idiot. And there are plenty of things that I am, but I, I, more so that like, oh, he doesn't really care. He doesn't have an opinion or uh, what a bunch of bullshit. He won't let me talk about this. It's more of you got to squash those things before they come out. Yeah, that's that's no kidding. And the, the interesting thing is you're teaching like uh, like a whole science and I'm teaching more like skill set type things. I guess that's the difference that I I kind of get is at that. Well, it's almost at any age now that I see, but even at that age, 21 to 25, these people have had their driver's licenses since they're 16, right? So they think, oh, I can drive anything easily and blah, blah, blah. And then I'm trying to teach them, well, this isn't a car, you know? Right. But but their egos are in their know-it-all. That's where I see the know-it-all is super inflated until the first time they take a curb and send the bus rocking all over the place. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then they're like humbled a little bit like, oh, I guess I am not this amazing, perfect driver that I thought I was. Let's... <laughs> Fortunately for you, uh, you get to do the Mark Twain thing, uh, who famously said, a man who swings a cat by his tail learns a lesson he can learn no other way. And I don't necessarily get to do that because I wouldn't really consider, you know, grading them poorly on a, an exam or an essay to be learning a life lesson because that's more about how they were right and I was wrong. I'm the asshole for giving them bad marks but they can only blame themselves you know, if they hit the curb or yeah. hit a fire hydrant or something. Well, and I can't count how many times you also, I mean, it happens with my older students as well. And it's, oh, that just came out of nowhere. It's like, no, you weren't using the concepts that I've taught you, the skills that I've taught you. You're reverting back to your car. Right. And, and trying to break that habit is so hard. I recently had a, uh, a gentleman that was, he was 80, 80 years old coming to drive a school bus and very nice gentleman, but trying to teach him was so hard. I can only imagine. I have, I have 70 or 65 years of driving habits to deal with. And then on top of that, making sure he, I mean, I can't, and it's illegal to, you can't discriminate based off age you know what i mean i can't say because the only career that i know of that has like a mandatory retirement age is airline pilots commercially i believe and there there may be some others out there but we don't have that so you you have to tread very lightly with that stuff too because you can find yourself in a lot of trouble but um the biggest thing is the older uh the people are the more habits you're correcting so i guess in that concept not young people create problems for me when it comes to teaching them concepts and vice versa 
older people do as well. It's just different things, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, uh, that kind of drives a, a big contrast in between when the questions you asked, you know, the, about the know-it-alls. Um, for me, if someone enters my class as a know-it-all, they can leave the class as a know-it-all. But for you, that's something that's very different. They can't leave as a know-it-all because the mistakes that they make could end up killing somebody. Where if oh, my yeah. students make mistakes, it just they'll get kicked out of a school. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's one thing that's super when I very first started uh training way, way back when I was really uh like they didn't have any like uh they do now, but at that time when I started, they didn't have like requirements for trainers as much. But the federal government rolled out all this stuff to where now you have to have a certain amount of experience driving a vehicle and things of that nature. But back then they didn't. So when I very first started uh, teaching, I would always teach more sympathetically, like, oh, well, they'll get it out on their own. They'll, they'll be okay. You know what I mean? But now after years of experience and learning how to become a good instructor, that's one thing that I never, uh, I don't push people through a program. You know what I mean? Because of the exact thing you said, you're playing with people's lives when you are out there on the road. So if you are not doing it, a hundred percent up to snuff you ain't you ain't going out there <laughs> but um i guess that just shows the difference between i mean we're both kind of teachers in a sense you're teaching concepts that i can't even begin to grasp and i'm just teaching simple concepts and skills but we kind of use similar uh methodologies to get this across to people well, I don't think that, I don't know, maybe the way that you phrase it, but I wouldn't sell short what you do. I think it's just a different skill. And I think that that's something that's, that's okay. Um, one of the big hangups that a lot of people, you know, you know, attached to academia and those who teach it is um, that a lot of people think that professors think that you have to have school. And that's absolutely not the case. Many of us very much understand that school is not for everybody. I mean, you make a very good living and you're doing something that you love. And as far as I know, you don't have a formal college education. I think yeah, that you can, you can teach and be successful in teaching different skills. The, just, just that, we're teaching different skills where you're teaching the skill of driving a vehicle. I'm teaching the skill of understanding human behavior we're doing the same thing. We're just approaching it and applying it in very different ways. And so I wouldn't sell yourself short on that. I think it's just same concept, different tools. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and I appreciate that because I, I do sometimes feel like in academia, you do have some that, uh, cause I've experienced this just, um, back in my days when I wasn't a trainer, but just a driver where you'd kind of get an attitude from the teachers that you're less than, you know what I mean? And it's very much like, no, this whole system in education doesn't work without every integral part from the janitors that are cleaning the building to the bus drivers that are driving to the teachers that are teaching to the administrative staff that's doing what they do. It all it's uh 
a big uh, system that runs with everybody and not just one person. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, kind of carrying on that and piggybacking on that, we really learned a lot about those lower end types of jobs when COVID hit, kind of to tie it back to that, when our daily lives, our in and outs were shut down and basically going to grocery stores was all we could do. We really learned the importance of that, you know, uncollege educated person working at Walmart or the uncollege educated person, you know, taking your order at McDonald's and just how crucial important those are. And so my mindset has always been, I don't care if you have an education or not, as long as you enjoy what you're doing. And do you need an education to get to where you're enjoying what you're doing? Because you don't need a college education to be happy. You just have to be doing what you want to do to be happy. And sometimes I you could, have to go to college to do that. Other times you don't. I couldn't agree more. I think too many people get wrapped up in uh, money buys happiness, which it sure does help. I'm not going to say that money doesn't <laughs> buy happy. I'm not going to be one of those people like, oh, you can't buy money or happiness with money. It helps a lot. But I think you're right in the fact of the most important thing about making a living is liking what you do because like it or not, most people, like I spend 10 hours a day at my job Monday through Friday and most people in America or in the world even aren't working eight hour jobs or working more than that. And if you're not enjoying that time, that's miserable. And one of my biggest mistakes that I learned in life very early on is I went and worked for a different school district, same job. And I hated it. And it wasn't due to the the company being crappy. It just wasn't the workflow I liked. It was a smaller district and I prefer to go, 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 be on the move. So I wasn't happy. But what I did is I stayed there for over a year in misery. And I look back at it. I'm like, why did you do that to yourself? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was right, like, man, man, I should have moved on and not not wasted a year of my life because you start looking at like time and percentages and, and how long life is. It's like, dude, you're an idiot. <laughs> right. And, and I had kind of a, a moment where I, you know, that same idea of, you know, the, I've always said there's a difference between, and everyone, I think most people think this way, you know, there's a difference between a job and a career, right? A job is something you do for money, a career is something you do for your life or livelihood, I should say, because people change careers. Um, but when I, I worked at Walmart overnight for three years, and it was mostly because I had to put myself through school. Uh, and I worked with an older man, and that was his day-in, day-out job, and he loved it. He was the old man, worked on the cereal aisle. He said, you know, it's a low-key job, pays his bills. He was very happy doing what he was doing. And I thought that was awesome because I think, you know, whether they're giving you food at a restaurant or putting stuff on the shelf, I want that being done by a happy person, not someone who's pissed at the world. But then I started to realize there were so many people there that were the exact opposite of that man, Keith, that that was their life and they fucking hated it that they got roped in into being management at the local Walmart and that's all their life was going to be. And that was, you know, that huge distinction of, Hey, I, this can't be me. I remember you are not a lifer here. 
and then I got fired from that job and life goes on. Uh, so you kind of got to see both sides, which I really liked. I really liked seeing the man who really wanted to be there and loved his job. And then that reminder of he's an anomaly. And yeah, yeah. And I, I'm so glad that I learned that lesson and don't keep myself. I, I told myself after that job, after I uh, ended up leaving that I was like, you will never again keep going to a place that makes you miserable. You're better than that. And you, there are so many options and so many people keep going to places that make them miserable. And they say, well, I, there's nothing else for me to do. And I just say, that's, that's bullshit. It's a right. mindset that you need to get out of because there's so much more out there to do. And I remember right after I uh, got done with that job, I went and did a dream job of mine, which ended up being terrible, but I loved it for the, you know, I did it for less than a month. I went and drove a garbage truck <laughs> and I only did it because I really wanted to do it as a kid. I, I was just fascinated with garbage trucks and I still am to this day when the recycling or garbage man comes down the road, I got to watch. And I was like, I'm going to do that. One day I'm going to drive one of those. And I went and drove it and it totally sucked. But I was like, and instead of sticking or sticking it out, I was like, remember what you told yourself, Marcus, quit this job now. <laughs> yeah, And I mean, and I was that, I think the only job I've had recently, and I say recently, this was 2015 to 2017. Uh, when I worked at a hotel in Texas, um, I hated that job. I had to do it. Uh, I just shouldn't say I had to do an overnight job cause I was going to school full time. And then when my life kind of fell apart, uh, I was not in a place where I could look for new work. I had to, the, the burden of going from place to place looking for a new job was just way too much. And so, um, I worked at a hotel before I, I went out to Texas. I loved that job. I loved who I worked for. Uh, after I got back home, when I was teaching, I was also working a job at another hotel, which I loved. I liked who I worked for. I had a really good time. Uh, and then kind of on that same note, uh, part of the reason why I came out here to Nebraska was because I hated my time at uh, the community college in Salt Lake. I felt like I wasn't appreciated and I wasn't valued. I sat in for a job interview that I applied for. I sat in for someone else and their job interview. So they had to teach one of my classes, which I was not informed about. And I had to sit there and watch someone try out for the job I applied for. And Isn't same, that just the biggest smack in the and face? And it was the same kind of thing. I said, I'm not happy here and I'm not going to continue to uh, work for any less than I think I'm worth. And so I gambled on myself, put out a bunch of job applications and, I'm out here and I'm going to be doing that again here pretty soon. So, yeah, but you, you, you enjoy teaching out in Nebraska where you weren't enjoying it as much at slick, well, right? I, I enjoyed teaching in general, but it was more so uh, I needed full-time work and I wanted to work for a place that appreciates me. Now, does this place appreciate me? Man, I don't know. I think my coworkers do. Uh, my boss seems to be very upset that I don't believe in a bunch of spiritualism because that's what her, her major is in. Asian philosophy. And so mm. she doesn't like that. I'm very critical of that. Uh, but I think as an educator, she values what I, you know, that's the difference between personal and professional. She values me as my professional work. And that's all you can ask for from a boss. I don't need to be my boss's best friend. Oh yeah, totally. Um, 
but yeah, it was kind of that same thing where, you know, you're driving a garbage truck. You're like, I don't enjoy this at all. That's what brought me out here. It was that same thing. I don't enjoy the prospect of this college doesn't value me. And I don't enjoy sitting in for someone else who I'm better than trying to take over my class. And I genuinely believe I, there were a lot of teachers and I still have teachers here that I, I think we approach things differently and that doesn't mean we're better or worse. But I asked that person three questions. They couldn't answer them. And so I was better than that person. And they were sitting in for my job. And they weren't difficult questions either. I mean, they were mundane. I had the difficult ones in my back pocket in case I needed them, but I didn't need them. (laughs) And it's so interesting that you, you can go from the same line of work, but the organization providing that work can totally change the outlook that you have while performing those tasks. Like I worked for two different school districts in my time in transportation and the one school district was vastly different in how they did things and was just not my cup of tea. Whereas the one I'm with now and started with originally is that's my, my, my niche. You know what I mean? I like really enjoy it there. I didn't enjoy it somewhere else. Yeah. And I, I but I was going to say, I think there's something else important that I, want to just touch on and it's there's a difference between not liking the place you work but knowing you're there temporarily just to get somewhere else and between that and going into a job every day and hating it and not having any plan to get out yeah oh absolutely like i'm not saying that people out there that are you know doing a job that they don't enjoy but are doing it, put them through school or to better a position, put money away to go do something else, something like that. I'm not saying, oh, you need to quit that job immediately if you don't enjoy it. If you have an out or a plan and you're working towards that through this, then that's fine. It's the it's the people that do the same thing time in and time again. What's that saying? What the definition of crazy is or something yeah. doing the same thing and expecting different results. That's where I'm like, those people, I just try and break into them because I. I love giving people advice and I love talking with people and I, I only love giving solicited advice though. Like I don't, I don't unsolicitly give advice. <laughs> I'm not like, Hey, oh, I see your life sucks and I want to tell you how to live it. I only give it when people ask for it. But when I do, you know, if I give my advice and then you come back to me weeks later and your life shit again, I don't like listening to that. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's like, like you got to make decisions. You got to move on, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And and so my field is generally psychology, but I, uh, my background is what's called uh, cognitive neuroscience. So I I look at the brain and the way that the brain works globally and affecting our behaviors. But when people hear psychology, they think person I can talk to like a therapist. And I actually, I am going to go back to school so I can start doing therapy and I do teach classes on that. And one of the reasons why I want to do that and do enjoy doing that is when people come to me with those problems, much like you're saying is I'm very blunt about it. And, you know, uh, why do I hate my job? Because you're only working jobs for money. You're not working them for enjoyment. Quit working shitty jobs. Right. It's like, so it's that straightforward mindset of, uh, you know, and people, cause they think that's what you do. I'm going to come to you for advice. And then uh, that straightforward advice of like, we're talking about work and careers. 
I hate what I'm doing. So don't do it. It's like, you know, the, the person going to the doctor, it hurts when I do this doctor, we'll stop doing it. <laughs> it's like yeah. the same kind of concept. No, I, I totally, totally, totally get that. <laughs> I laugh when anyone brings up the doctor though, because I'm the type of person always running to the doctor, not taking their advice. <laughs> so I'm a product of my own circumstances when it comes to that. I can apply my own uh, theories to life in some ways and then in other ways where like my hypochondria kicks in. I want to tell myself, well, don't think that way, but I do anyways. <laughs> but yeah, um, so what are, what are your plans with the future of your pursuant of education? You say you're looking at possibly going on to another university or because you're working on your doctorate right now, right? No, not currently. Not currently. Were you at one time? Uh, I had I applied, I had working. applied to a few different places. Uh, but what I found out was one of my, <laughs> one of the people who I asked for a letter of recommendation did not write them. And so, oh, no. uh, I didn't get accepted into those schools. Um, did so, they say they would write a letter yes. of recommendation? Oh, that's upsetting. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. It is very upsetting. Um, so life is kind of blurry going forward. Uh, we are going to be moving somewhere to the East coast sometime in may the other half got a job back east and so we're gonna end up picking up and moving and then once we get settled um i'm actually looking at not just getting obviously another job wherever we go uh but that's when i'm going to uh try and uh, go back to school either uh, there's a few online options that i'm actually looking at to go to school for therapy and counseling and i'm this would be either a PhD or a master's, depending on which uh, school I end up uh, end up going with. And the the hard part is finding something that works with your schedule, something that is uh, specifically certified, and not going to some place to get like a life coach because those are two totally different things. Uh, it'd be like the difference between going to a doctor who's a back specialist and someone who's a chiropractor. Yeah, and so. Uh, but I, I am very interested in therapy. I do like helping people out. And I also, you know, like I'm a very blunt person and sometimes, you know, with therapy, I, I went to a therapist and my therapist kept trying to tell me why, what I was feeling was, uh, it's not your fault. It's everybody else. And, um, you know, sometimes you just need to be slapped in the face and kind of told what the truth is. And if my doctor just said, Hey, you're fat, do something about it my life would have been so much easier, but they didn't. They were just so worried about hurting my feelings. They didn't tell me what I needed to hear, only what they thought I wanted to hear. I like that you bring that up because I've never gone to therapy per se by a professional therapist or seeked out help in those ways, but I've always had like a core group of people that have um, been my go-to people. And the ones that have made the most profound impact on me are the ones that have not spared my feelings with their advice. You know what I mean? Right. Like, no, abs- absolutely. And I think, I think that there's a difference between telling people, you know, you can't feel a certain way or act a certain way. To me, that's one thing. But at some point, we have to understand our own autonomy and our own control over our own lives. And sometimes it is just as easy as, you know, understanding 
that the change starts with you. And sometimes you just have to be told what you're doing while it's making you upset is also ridiculous. You want other people and to so that, change. You are the one who needs to change. You, there's a difference, a difference between the way that the world should work and the way that the world works. And I feel like a lot of therapy is based on how the world should work, not how it actually works. And where are these areas back east that you guys are looking at moving to? Uh, anywhere in the, the northeast. Uh, oh, okay, so the New England area and all New that. New England, Virginia, Pennsylvania. Um, oh. There are places on my do not move list. <laughs> what's, what's one on your do not move Buffalo. list? Buffalo. <laughs> uh, which sucks. Ishan, lo- not- Ishan loves Buffalo. Uh, big fan of the Buffalo Bills. It's a fun place, but it also gets feet of snow. Yeah, and they I'm were just, just not, in the news. <laughs> not dealing with that. No, I totally agree. They, I mean, they literally had people encased in ice in their homes yeah. in Buffalo. Places 30 hours without power, people freezing. Like, that just is not what I want to do. Uh, and then the other, like Boston, I don't live in Boston. But that's mostly because of the cost of living and the amount of people. Same with places like New York City. Um, there are some areas that I'm really interested in. I'd love to live in, uh, parts of Virginia, like, uh, Richmond, Virginia, not just cause that's where Guar's from, but it's a really fun place full of art and music, which is awesome. Uh, outside of Philadelphia would be a lot of fun. Um, I've always really admired that about you. You have this sense of, um, I'm just going to do it. Like, n- you're in like a minority of people I know because a lot of people talk about moving somewhere else or pursuing career paths, but it taking them out of state, but very little people actually do that. And that takes like a ton of courage to say, you know what, I'm moving from my safety net of here. My family's here. My friends are here to, I mean, your first place was Texas, right? Well, technically the first place was Tennessee. Uh, Oh yeah, that's right. That was a nightmare. Um, that was also, uh, so one of the things that you, you shouldn't do is see a therapist and take medication for most disorders. And I was, and it really messed with my brain and put me in a really weird headspace. So I was going, talking to a therapist, I was taking an antidepressant and once the antidepressant kicked in, my brain just stopped working in general. And, uh, so that was a really dumb decision. I'm glad I did it. Uh, mostly to get that experience, you know, uh, you learn a lot from failures. Uh, but the, yeah, that was, uh, Texas was the first, I should say, legitimate move. And then, uh, yeah, here in Nebraska. And then, and now you're looking back East. So like you're moving these States and I, I find that very admirable because I, I myself would love to actually move out of Utah as much as I love Utah. I love the scenery. I love that there's any hobby you have, you can kind of do it here in Utah. Um, But I just have that lust for like adventure and also a more, um, an easier housing market because I'm in this position to where like I own a home and yeah, I have a ton of equity in it, but I'm never going to be able to upgrade my home to anything else. You know what I mean? Right. So I mean, I'm a government worker, so I'm not making money hand over fist. And the housing market in Salt Lake County, although it has leveled out, 
it has it's never going to get back to where affordability is the thing here. <laughs> so I'm always like, man, I kind of want to move to like Iowa or something and buy a farmhouse and live on that. <laughs> but my courage level isn't there like yours. I don't. That's that's something that I'm trying to increase this year. I say 2022 was the year of finding out who I was as a or who I am as a sober person, and then 2023 is supposed to be my take more risks year. So that's awesome that you you've moved. I mean, it doesn't seem like a whole bunch, but way more than other people. Well, I think a lot of the times it's also moving back home. Um, so yeah, you got to keep that in mind is while I have moved a lot, a lot of times it's coming back. Yeah. But you've always, you've come back, but then you've gone right back out. You know, it's, I guess that's one good thing that you have is when you've come back home, you've had your parents to kind of rely on, right? Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, um, I hate doing that because I like this kind of talking, we were talking about travel and that independence and traveling. It's the same kind of thing, uh, being with here, being with my parents, they're super supportive. Um, but I don't like that idea of relying on them because it hinders that, you know, that, independence that self-agency that i want so uh so they have helped me out but it's not necessarily something that i try to rely on oh no i i wasn't putting it off that way that you oh yeah you get to go out there and you can always come back to mommy and daddy's house um the thing i'm kind of just seeing is you you do have a little bit of that support network to where me, if I move and it fails, I don't have anything because <laughs> my parents were the uh, opposite of what you should have been financially. <laughs> like, I'm almost looking at like, I'm probably going to have to move my dad in here, not my current house, but sometime in the future, either with my mom or with my sister or me because of his financial struggles. And it's taught me, hey, you need to have retirement and stuff like that because Social Security only goes so far. That's both my mom and dad. They're not in good positions to where if I went out to, I don't know, Virginia, and then I was like, oh, this failed. Hey, mom, dad, can I move in with you? would be like, what do you mean? (laughs) Like, I have none of that. So that kind of is where I... That's where my fear comes from about moving or something. I'm like, well, what if it turns out shitty and I have no one to go to back to? You always always come live with me, baby. <laughs> yeah. When you're on the East Coast, dude, I'll that that sounds good to me. Um, you know what, Alex? We're at an hour and twenty-two minutes. You've given me enough of your time uh tonight. I want to thank you for coming on and talking travel. Uh, a little bit about the education world that you're in and kind of uh, philosophy and outlooks on life. Um, I'm going to let you enjoy the rest of your night, and I hope to have another conversation with you in the future. I know you kind of wanted to do a little bit of interviewing of me yes. at some time. Oh, yes, I do. So maybe maybe we'll do that as like the season finale of season two. I think we're four episodes in, I try and make... I'm trying to do the seasons as 10 episodes. So here pretty soon, you should get a list of questions you want to ask me and I can give you my honest answers. All right. It sounds like a good time. It it does. Um, Alex, uh, before I let you go, I do want to have you drop uh, your social media handles with your music you make. Because the music you do, not only is Alex 
a professor. He's multi-talented in all this other stuff he does, and he makes amazing music. So where can people go listen to some of this music that you make? Um, well, first off, uh, thank you. Um, I learned it from watching you. Um, <laughs> I, the best way to do it is just go to Spotify. Yeah, it's 10th Enemy Has the Bomb. I think it's on a lot of different platforms. I don't know which ones. I mostly make it because most of my friends use Spotify. So that's why I put it all out there on Spotify. Like there, I think you can like buy it places, but I don't care about that. Uh, you can stream it on YouTube. Uh, I guess it's distributed on YouTube. I have no control over any of that. Mostly because I say I don't care. Put it out there. Let people listen to it. But you can search 10th Enemy Has the Bomb on just about any uh, music place, I think. Most anyway, not Apple. Yeah. I think Apple's the only one it's not in off the top of my head because I'm not paying $4.99 every time I upload something to have it be put on Apple. Oh, no, I don't. I don't blame you there. But he literally makes... You're like this... You almost remind me of Buckethead in a sense because you can make this really hardcore metal music and then all of a sudden you got this really soft music. Alex is someone I go to all the time to do uh, theme music for our podcasts and background music for videos I make and stuff. And he's always able to make exactly what I ask from him. (laughs) Well, like I said, I I originally wanted to be a composer. That's what I originally went to school for. So... Uh, I love doing that kind of stuff for, for friends and for myself. It's a, something I've just always done. It's a, a big, like a passion project. It's kind of like with you in photography. I'm doing it to do it and share it. And I don't care about any of the other stuff. I don't care about that, you know, getting paid to share my ideas and my experiences. I'm doing it because it's my hobby. I take, like yeah. you take photos for you. I write music for me. And you share your photos with your friends so that they can enjoy it. And I do the same thing. Yeah. I always tell everybody that I, first and foremost, the person I'm taking the photog- the photo for, and I think this goes for you as well, is is me myself. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Um, what people think of it afterwards is up to them and their interpretation, and they can either love it or hate it. But the photo is my photo originally made for me to be enjoyed by others, but I don't go make photos chasing likes or um you know to get some status you know what i mean yeah and um it's it's very nice when you get recognition but i i think some people are chasing just the how many likes can i get and and clearly because you get like just as the 2022 was wrapping down i kind of stayed off scrolling through Instagram because it was just everyone sharing that stupid same post. Look how many likes I got this year. Like that's not what it's about people. Yeah. I had people ask me about my Spotify wrap up and my response was, I don't care. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's see. What song do people listen to the most? I don't know. I think you go on Spotify. It will tell you how many times <laughs> they listen to it. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I have a few few of those things I put up that I listen to on a semi-regular basis. So I guess the ones that are listening to the most are the ones I listen to the most. I don't know. I don't, it doesn't really bother me. I do it because it's my hobby and I share it with people who are interested. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of the time it's important to keep some of those loves as hobbies and rather, because a lot of people ask me all the time, why aren't you doing photography professionally? And I'm like, well, one, there's not a whole lot of money in it. 
And two, when you do it professionally, you're going to be doing it in forms and fashions that I don't enjoy. And I don't want to lose my love for something to a job of it, you know? All right. Very much agree. I think if we had, we obviously don't have more time, but I think it'd be a lot of fun to talk about those art hobbies. Cause I have a lot, I have a lot of strong opinions on it and I'm sure you do too. And for me, as you were talking about it, all I could think of was that comparison of you're an educator and I'm an educator, but we do it in different ways. Uh, we're both artists, but we also same thing. We, we do art very differently. So I'm very interested in your view on it and see how those comparisons come out. Well, let's, uh, let's plan on getting together again and, uh, doing another episode. We'll obviously have the episode where Alex, uh, the roles will change and he'll ask me all the questions and I'll sit here and try and answer them to the best of my ability. And then we'll do a, uh, maybe talk art on that episode as well. And kind of our, uh, ideas and everything. Awesome. What are you doing after this? (laughs) I'm going to go eat. That's what I'm doing. And I got another episode coming up at eight. That's why I got to cut this one short. No worries. Everyone out there. Um, what would you say? No worries. No, I, I totally get it. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And as I always end these episodes, just be kind to each other out there. The world needs a little bit more kindness today. If you ever want to see where kindness goes right out the window, go to an elementary school parking lot where the parents are all screaming and yelling at each other while they're picking up their kids. <laughs> well, I- Okay, so as we're talking, this is off topic. And then I'll shut the hell up and let you do your thing. Uh, as we're recording this um, for the good of humanity, as you're talking about people, be nice. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the NFL. A player named Demar Hamlin uh, tackled a guy, stood up, and then collapsed. I don't know if you've heard anything about this. I know exactly where okay. you're going to go to because I Facebook stalk you, and you're talking to this yes. guy on a comment thread. Um, and so he does. He go does ahead and explain did, it. Though. So a football player made a tackle. So I'm sure everyone knows about this by now. Stood up, collapsed, which is not a brain problem. Um, had to have CPR administrated. He's in critical care in the hospital. Did a toy drive. Um, and that toy drive went from $12,000 to now over $5 million. And the thing that I wanted to bring up was um, it went from 12000 to just under $3 million, with the highest donations being no more than $5,000 at the time. Now there have been some that have been higher, but it's just one of those things where those small, small things add up over time. Most people were donating like $33 because his number was number three. And so there's those small donations literally added up to over $3 million. So those small things, they make a big difference when lots of people do them. Oh, totally. I mean, you, you can look at that concept it a little differently, but that's how Bernie Sanders funded his campaign from small donations that weren't more than $27. Yeah. So, and the little things you do out there for people can make a huge difference. The little bit of change roundup you do at, you know, uh, for a charity, the, the nice smile and wave, the, the be a little bit more patient, the, I don't know, the curb, the attitude a little bit, just, just, there's too much crazy chaos in this world. And then I think we've gotten into this space that social media is such a big thing that we no longer treat humans as individuals. Like 
especially in the social media aspect, we hurl insults and things left and right, right, back and forth on Facebook, Twitter, because we don't have to actually see how those words or things affect those people. Right. Or in other cases, we use other people's suffering to boost our own image. So it kind of, uh, so it's like that. Elaborate. Okay, so when you were talking, all I could think of was, uh, so I have the videos of the people who uh, will like give haircuts to the homeless. And it's for something called egoism. They're doing it so that you watch their videos and subscribe and join their Patreon and do all those things. I literally and just so. talked to Lacey about this on an episode we did this past week about one of the things I want to see die in 2023 is the kindness that's given to others on camera. Yes. And kind of talking back to that football guy, um, there have been videos sneaking out of players who uh, have been they like put their hood up, cover themselves up to sneak into the hospital to go see this person because they don't want the media circus. They are genuinely concerned about their friend, and people are like you know taking pictures of them walking through the parking lot trying to be sneaky. And so again, that's that same thing of you're doing it because you genuinely care, not because you're interested in what someone else has you know someone else's opinion yeah, on, your, on your goodwill but yeah so you want to see the bad that's a good example the schools uh angry parents but oh, that that made me feel good seeing that in my my feed i've been following that story for the last 24 hours i shouldn't say 24 hours but 20 hours plus yeah definitely so everyone be kind to each other out there treat everyone like human beings no matter what And we will catch you on the next one. And Alex will get his list of questions ready for me. See ya.